0: Section 4 of Jataka Tales by H.T. Francis and E.J. Thomas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The peacock's wooing. Once on a time in the first cycle of the world's history the quadrupeds chose the lion as their king the fishes the monster fish ananda and the birds the golden mallard now the king golden mallard had a lovely young daughter and her royal father granted her any boon she might ask The boon she asked for was to be allowed to choose a husband for herself, and the king, in fulfillment of his promise, mustered all the birds together in the country of the Himalayas. All manner of birds came, mallards, peacocks, and all other birds, and they flocked together on a great plateau of bare rock. Then the king sent for his daughter, and bade her go and choose a husband after her own heart. As she reviewed the crowd of birds, her eye lighted on the peacock with his neck of jeweled sheen and tail of varied hue. And she chose him, saying, Let this be my husband. Then the assembly of the birds went up to the peacock and said, Friend peacock, this princess in choosing her husband from among all these birds has fixed her choice on you. Carried away by his extreme joy, the peacock exclaimed, "'Until this day you have never seen how active I am!' And in defiance of all decency in the midst of the assembly, he spread his wings and began to dance, and in dancing he exposed himself. Filled with shame, King Golden Mallard said, "'This fellow has neither modesty within his heart nor decency in his outward behavior. I certainly will not give my daughter to one so shameless.' And there, in the midst of all that assembly of the birds, he repeated this stanza. "'A pleasing note is yours, a lovely back, a neck in hue like lapis lazuli, a fathom's length your outstretched feathers reach. Withal, your dancing loses you, my child.' Right in the face of the whole gathering King Royal Mallard gave his daughter to a young Mallard, a nephew of his. Covered with shame at the loss of the mallard princess, the peacock rose straight up from the place and fled away, and King Golden Mallard, too, went back to his dwelling-place. THE FOWLER AND THE QUAILS Once upon a time, when King Brahmadatta was King of Benares, the Bodhisatta was born a quail and lived in the forest at the head of many thousands of quails. In those days a fowler who caught quails came to that place and he used to imitate the note of a quail till he saw that the birds had been drawn together, when he flung his net over them and whipped the sides of the net together, so as to get them all huddled up in a heap. Then he crammed them into his basket, and going home sold his prey for a living. Now one day the Bodhisatta said to those quails, "'This fowler is making havoc among our kinsfolk.' i have a device whereby he will be unable to catch us henceforth the very moment he throws the net over you let each one put his head through a mesh and then all of you together must fly away with the net to such place as you please and there let it down on a thorn-brake this done we will all escape from our several meshes very good said they all in ready agreement on the morrow when the net was cast over them They did just as the Bodhisatta had told them. They lifted up the net and let it down on the thorn-brake, escaping themselves from underneath. While the fowler was still disentangling his net, evening came on, and he went away empty-handed. On the morrow and following days the quails played the same trick, so that it became the regular thing for the fowler to be engaged till sunset, disentangling his net, and then to betake himself home empty-handed accordingly his wife grew angry and said day by day you return empty-handed i suppose you've got a second establishment to keep up elsewhere no my dear said the fowler i have no second establishment to keep up the fact is those quails have come to work together now the moment my net is over them off they fly with it and escape leaving it on a thorn-brake still they won't live in unity always don't you bother yourself. As soon as they start bickering among themselves I shall bag the lot, and that will bring a smile to your face to see." And so saying he repeated this stanza to his wife. While concord reigns the birds bear off the net. When quarrels rise they'll fall a prey to me. Not long after this one of the quails in alighting on their feeding-ground trod by accident on another's head who trod on my head angrily cried this latter i did but i didn't mean to don't be angry said the first quail but notwithstanding this answer the other remained as angry as before continuing to answer one another they began to bandy taunts, saying i suppose it is you single-handed who lift up the net as they wrangled thus one another the bodhisatta thought to himself there is no safety with one who is quarrelsome the time has come when they will no longer lift up the net, and thereby they will come to great destruction. The fowler will get his opportunity. I can stay here no longer. And thereupon he with his following went elsewhere. Sure enough, the fowler came back again a few days later, and first collecting them together by imitating the note of a quail, flung his net over them. Then said one quail, they say when you were at work lifting the net the hair of your head fell off now's your time lift away the other rejoined when you were lifting the net they say both your wings molted now's your time lift away but whilst they were each inviting the other to lift the net the fowler himself lifted the net for them and crammed them in a heap into his basket and bore them off home so that his wife's face was wreathed with smiles THE OLDEST OF THE ANIMALS Once on a time, hard by a great banyan-tree on the slopes of the Himalayas, there dwelt three friends, a partridge, a monkey, and an elephant. And they came to lack respect and subordination one to another, and had no ordering of their common life. And the thought came to them that it was not seemly for them to live in this way, and that they ought to find out which of their number was the senior, and to honor him. As they were engaged, thinking which was the oldest, one day an idea struck them. Said the partridge and the monkey to the elephant, as they all three sat together at the foot of that banyan tree, Friend elephant, how big was this banyan tree when you remember it first? Said the elephant, When I was a baby, this banyan was a mere bush over which I used to walk, and as I stood astride of it, its topmost branches used to reach up to my belly. I've known the tree since... It was a mere bush. Next the monkey was asked the same question by the other two, and he replied, I had only to stretch out my neck as I sat on the ground, and I could eat the topmost sprouts of this banyan. So I've known this banyan since it was very tiny. Then the partridge was asked the same question by the two others, and he said, "'Friends, of old there was a great banyan tree at such and such a spot. I its at seeds and voided them here. That was the origin of this tree. Therefore I have knowledge of this tree from before it was born, and I am older than the pair of you.' Hereupon the monkey and the elephant said to the sage partridge, friend you are the oldest henceforth you shall have from us acts of honor and veneration marks of obeisance and homage respect of word and deed salutation and all due homage and we will follow your counsels you for your part henceforth will please impart such counsel as we need thenceforth the partridge gave them counsel and established them in the commandments which he also undertook himself to keep Being thus established in the commandments, and becoming respectful and subordinate among themselves, with proper ordering of their common life, these three made themselves sure of rebirth in heaven at this life's close. THE CRANE AND THE CRAB Once on a time the Bodhisatta came to life in a certain forest haunt, as the divinity of a tree which stood near a certain lotus-pond. In those days the water used every summer to fall very low in a certain pond, not very big, which was plentiful stocked with fish. Catching sight of these fish, a certain crane said to himself, "'I must find a way to cajole and eat these fish.' So he went and sat down in deep thought by the side of the water. Now when the fishes caught sight of him, they said, "'Of what are you thinking, my lord, as you sit there?' i'm thinking about you was the reply and what is your lordship thinking about us the water in this pool being low food scarce and the heat intense i was wondering to myself as i sat here what in the world you fishes would do and what are we to do my lord well if you take my advice i will take you up one by one in my beak and carry you all off to a fine large pool covered with the five varieties of lotuses and there put you down my lord said they no crane ever took the slightest thought for fishes since the world began your desire is to eat us one by one no i will not eat you while you trust me said the crane if you don't take my word that there is such a pond send one of your number to go with me and see for himself Believing the crane, the fish presented to him a great big fish, blind of one eye, by the way, who they thought would be a match for the crane, whether afloat or ashore, and they said, "'Here's the one to go with you.' The crane took the fish off and put him in the pool, and after showing him the whole extent of it, brought him back again and put him in along with the other fish in his old pond, and he held forth to them on the charms of the new pool." After hearing this report, they grew eager to go there and said to the crane, "'Very good, my lord. Please take us across.' First of all, the crane took that big one-eyed fish again and carried him off to the edge of the pool, so that he could see the water, but actually alighted in a verana tree which grew on the bank. Dashing the fish down in a fork of the tree, he pecked it to death, after which he picked him clean and let the bones fall at the foot of the tree." then back he went and said i've thrown him in who's next and so he took the fish one by one and ate them all till at last when he came back he could not find another left but there was still a crab remaining in the pond so the crane who wanted to eat him up too said mr crab i've taken all those fishes away and turned them into a fine large pool covered all over with lotuses come along i'll take you too how will you carry me across said the crab why on my back to be sure said the crane ah but you might drop me like that said the crab i won't go with you don't be frightened "'I'll keep tight hold of you all the way,' thought the crab to himself. "'He hasn't put the fish in the pool, but if he would really put me in, that would be capital. "'If he does not, while I'll nip his head off and kill him.' "'So he spoke thus to the crane. "'You'd never be able to hold me tight enough, friend crane, "'whereas we crabs have got an astonishingly tight grip.' If I might take hold of your neck with my claws, I could hold it tight and then would go along with you. Not suspecting that the crab wanted to trick him, the crane gave his assent. With his claws the crab gripped hold of the crane's neck as with the pincers of a smith, and said, Now you can start. The crane took him and showed him the pool first, and then started off for the tree. The pool lies this way, Uncle, said the crab but you're taking me the other way.' "'Very much your dear uncle am I,' said the crane, and very much my nephew are you. I suppose you thought me your slave to lift you up and carry you about. Just cast your eye on that heap of bones at the foot of the tree, as I ate up all those fish, so I will eat you too,' said the crab. It was through their own folly that those fish were eaten by you. But I shan't give you the chance of eating me, no. What I shall do is to kill you. For you fool that you were did not see that I was tricking you. If we die, we will both die together. I'll chop your head clean off. And so saying, he gripped the crane's weasened with his claws as with pincers. With his mouth wide open and tears streaming from his eyes, the crane, trembling for his wife, said, "'Lord, indeed, I will not eat you. Spare my life!' "'Well, then just step down to the pool and put me in,' said the crab. Then the crane turned back and stepped down as directed to the pool, and placed the crab on the mud at the water edge. But the crab, before entering the water, nipped off the crane's head as deftly as if he were cutting a lotus stalk with a knife the divinity who dwelt in the tree marking this wonderful thing made the whole forest ring with applause repeating this stanza in sweet tones guile profits not your very guileful folk mark what the guileful crane got from the crab end of section four